Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome back to Inside the Huddle. Today we are previewing the Iowa-Indiana matchup. Uh, We've been away for a week on the bye week. It was uh, relaxing. Um, and, a, and a good time to recharge. I think Indiana, when we talked to them on Monday, looked a lot uh, better, uh, both physically and mentally. They're rested up. I think they're ready to go. Um, Iowa comes in at undefeated uh, at 8-0, 4-0 in the Big Ten. Uh, they are ranked 10-11 uh, in the AP and coaches polls. They're ranked ninth in the first um, college football playoff poll last night. Uh, so a lot on the line for Iowa coming into this game. A lot on the line for Indiana as well. Uh, they're sitting at 4-4 four and four, uh, with four games left. they got to split to get to six wins at the very least. Um, you know, And this is an Iowa team that Indiana has matched up well against in the past. Uh, they beat them in 2012. Um, they looked like they uh, could have beaten them last year if Nate Sudfeld wasn't injured. Um, you know, 2011, IU had uh, yeah, IU had uh, Trey Roberson starting, hung in there for a little bit, uh, and we'll see. Uh, 2010 was a good game. Uh, Del Marlo Belcher made a, a didn't make a catch that cost them the win. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're welcoming in co-host TJ Inman. Uh, TJ, how are you today? I'm doing great. Really happy to to be back on the podcast talking IU football. We had a wouldn't call it a bye week for still writing and producing good content, but uh, we had a bye week for the podcast after the Michigan State game, so it's been a while, and I'm happy to be back. Yeah, it's definitely good to be back, it, it, you know, uh, talking football again. Uh, TJ, Iowa and Indiana, it, it's been, I wouldn't say a, a rivalry game, but it's been a close game uh, over the past decade, uh, going back to 2006 when IU uh, upset a ranked Iowa team at Memorial Stadium, uh, won again the next year in 2007, and then beat them in 2012 in Kevin Wilson's second year. So what do you see in this matchup uh, that could give IU fans a little hope? Well, yeah, I I don't think that Iowa is, you know, overwhelming. Um, You know, I think the difference this year uh, as opposed to – maybe 2012 or the past couple of years, uh, I think the Iowa fans are really, really excited about the way this team has played. And, um, you know, we, we really saw it those first couple of weeks that they, uh, they were more aggressive on offense. Um, you know, we, I, I know that I've, I've seen every game that Iowa's played this year. Uh, and in the past that would have been, you know, incredibly boring, but, they, they've really opened up the offense some. C.J. Beathard is averaging, uh, you know, more yards per attempt than uh, any Iowa quarterback has in recent memory. Uh, they go for it on fourth and short when you previously might expect Kirk Ferentz to send out the punt team or the kick team. 
so they've opened it up a little bit more, and, and Iowa fans have been appreciative of that. Uh, as a result, I think that they've really gotten some momentum and some belief around themselves. Uh, you know, like I said, I don't think this is an overwhelming Iowa team. They're not great, and if you ask me if they truly are the you know, eighth or ninth best team in the country, I'll tell you no. However, I do think that they have earned their place because they've done what they've needed to do. They've they've beaten teams that they're either 50-50 with, which I would say would be the case with Pitt and Wisconsin. Uh, truthfully, Wisconsin should have beaten Iowa in Camp Randall, but the Hawkeyes uh, you know, made fewer mistakes than Wisconsin did in that game. But they've beaten those teams, and they've really handled the teams that uh, that they're clearly better than. Haven't really had any uh, what you would call letdowns, I don't think. Um, you know, they had a potential for that against Maryland as they came off their bye week last week, but they took care of them. Uh, Personnel-wise, um, yeah, this defense for Iowa is currently the strength of the team. They're top ten in the country, but if you dive deeper into that, they haven't really played uh, anybody that I would consider above average offensively. Um, I think that Nate Sudfeld is by far the best quarterback that the Hawkeyes are going to face all season because coming up in the uh, their remaining schedule, they don't play anybody as good as Sudfeld, and they haven't played anybody as good as him in the previous eight contests. And then, you know, just total offense-wise, Indiana's the best offense that I think Iowa's going to see this season. Uh, Wisconsin did not have Corey Clement um, for their game, and I think last week showed what a difference Corey Clement can make for the Badgers. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I think that Indiana's the best offense that I was going to see the regular season. Uh, Yeah, definitely, especially since they closed the three games after Indiana or Minnesota, whose offense is is not good. Uh, Purdue, who did put up 55 points against Nebraska, but um, it's hit and miss with the freshman quarterback. And then at Nebraska, who – you know, by the end of the to close out the year, who knows what they're going to look like? Um, injuries. It could be the end of a a very disappointing season, and you know, it, it. Who knows what Nebraska team shows up for that in that pro uh, rivalry game? Uh, but you know, Indiana they've played Illinois, whose offense is, is pretty solid in in the past game with um, with West Lawn. But uh, they 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 held them to to twenty points. Um, Pittsburgh was the other uh, big team that they beat. Uh, although Pittsburgh scored, I think they they turned a interception into a short field touchdown and, and a block punt mm-hmm. that was returned for a touchdown. So you know Indiana might be head and shoulders the best offense they they've played all year and will play all year. And and we'll see. You know this is a, a big test for both teams. Um, it's a game that. Indiana can win. Uh, this is, you know, a lot of people have some optimism about this game, uh, and we'll we'll see. It's a big test for Iowa because hey, they're they're right in it in the college football playoff rankings that came out last night. Uh, we'll see if this defense is for real, um, and we'll see if they could, you know, if they win, do they move up or or whatever? Because you'll see, um, Alabama is playing LSU this weekend, uh, so one of those teams may drop out. Um, so you know, it's there's a lot on the line for Iowa. Eight um, and coming in, and, and uh, 
Indiana's historically played them pretty well. So it, it's a big game. It's it's a big test for both teams. Indiana should be well-rested coming off the open week. I think that plays into their favor. Uh, they should get Jordan Howard back at 100%, which changes the offense so much. Um, now you mm-hmm. can run the ball a little bit more and, and not um, solely rely on the pass and become one-dimensional. And, TJ, my matchup to watch in this game is going to be Nate Sudfeld versus Desmond King, uh, who's the cornerback for Iowa. He has seven interceptions this year um, and seven pass breakups. So uh, he's been all over the field in that defensive backfield for Iowa. Yeah, right now he is, uh, without a doubt, the uh, a guy that's going to be a unanimous all-Big Ten pick in the defensive backfield. That could change over these last four weeks, but right now he would definitely get that nod on that postseason award or recognition if you want. Um, I, I'll be interested to see kind of who he matches up with routinely. I would guess it's going to be Ricky Jones, and then he'll see some time on Simi Cobbs probably. Um, but, you know, he's, a, he's six foot, 200 pounds. He's a not an overly big corner, but he, he has very good instincts. He had a pick six last week that he took 88 yards that um, if Maryland was driving. If they score, it would have been 24 to 14. So it you know could have gotten to be somewhat of a ball game, but his pick six turned it 31-7 into that game, really. Um, but I think that it's going to be very interesting to see whether or not Indiana just completely avoids him when he is covering someone if they just allow him to shut down that receiver and not even attack him. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that IU is going to uh, let's say that he is guarding defending Ricky Jones. I think that Indiana is going to just run their offense and um, I think that they'll be aware of of where he is and I think that Nate Sudfeld should be extra careful whenever he is uh, throwing the ball in the direction of Desmond King because so far when a quarterback has made a mistake, King's made him pay. But I, I, I don't think that Indiana is just going to completely avoid a receiver because Desmond King happens to be on him. Yeah, I agree with that. And, um, TJ, to add into that point, uh, the last uh, couple of years, going back to Nate Sudfeld's freshman year, uh, he has thrown some pick sixes against Iowa. Uh, in 2012, he came in in relief uh and his, I believe it was the first pass went for a pick six. Last year, um, one of his early passes got uh, picked off and returned for a touchdown. So there is some history of um, throwing interceptions against Iowa, but he's a year older. He should be, you know, he's looking good. He's taking care of the ball this year. He's thrown only four mm-hmm. interceptions uh, in the first eight games, so that's half an interception a game. So we'll see. Um you know, I was in an aggressive defense. They are missing uh, their defensive lineman, uh, Drew Ott. And um, the injuries could play a big factor into this. You know, Jordan Kanziri uh, is an unknown. Uh, you know, Kurt Ferentz in his press conference yesterday uh, talked for about five minutes and said nothing. Um, you know, that's how coaches speak, but uh, nothing yeah. on whether or not he's going to play. Uh, so, you know, if he doesn't play, I think that changes the entire the entire game. I use run defense, you know, as bad as their defense has been all year, their run defense has been pretty good. Um, you know, they're giving up 201 yards a game. A lot of those have come at the end of games. 
mm. when they're worn out. But they held, you know, Michigan State to, I think, under four yards per carry. Um, so if Jordan Kanziri's out, I think that that plays into IU's favor as well uh, very much. He's been terrific this year, just making plays uh, out of the backfield, and it gives them that extra, you know, the extra speed that we haven't seen out of an Iowa back in a long time. Yeah, Kanziri is uh, definitely a big playback. He's he's a good receiver out of the backfield. I think he has like 15, 17 catches, something like that, uh, out of the backfield. And he has the potential to turn those into big carries or to big gains if you don't tackle him well, which I use tackling on the outside has been an issue at times. Um, yeah, but I, I I would be interested, and I maybe this is something I'll do here um, this week, and include it in the piece or something, is kind of the, the first half or even the first three quarters versus the fourth quarter for the run defense. Uh, those numbers might be interesting, or maybe that's something Nick can toss into a numbers piece. But I do think that the run defense has looked really good until late in games, like you said. Uh, you know, they, With the exception of probably Ezekiel Elliott, uh, who you know his damage was done in the second half, but really he's the only back that, killed them. Um, Michigan State got really shut down until those final six minutes when IU just completely fell apart and that wasn't, I'm not blaming that on the defense. They were on the field for so long. Um, But for the most part, yeah, the Hoosier rush defense has been a positive and what has otherwise been a uh, real downer uh, on the defensive side of the ball. But yeah, if Kanziri can't go um, Akram Wadley and LeSean Daniels. Daniels returned from injury uh, last week and, and gave them some good good carries. Akram Wadley, uh, he's averaging 5.8 yards a carry, and he has six touchdowns. He's a, a little bit bigger back that IU so far has done well against the bigger backs. So I, I think that they would feel good about being able to at least minimize the damage that Wadley could do uh, Iowa does have a good offensive line, but it, it's not a, a dominant group. They don't, you know, they're not, they're not an elite running team. Uh, so I, I think that Indiana would, if Kanziri doesn't go, I think that IU would feel pretty good about their ability to minimize the damage that the Iowa rushing attack could do. Yep, and, and I'm sorry, I, I misquoted the stats, TJ. IU is allowing 166 and a half yards on the ground, and also the um, that pick six last year was uh, by Desmond King. So there is a little history there with Sudfeld. Um, but you're right. I, I was, you know, you know, we we all picked them to go eight and zero, right? Right, TJ. This is this is yeah. the yeah. the stone no cold lock of the year. Yes, no surprise at all. Um, we definitely had that in our in our. Uh, they were our sleeper, each and every one of us. <laughs> no, not exactly, but no. I think they were the really unanimous surprise. They were probably the unanimous pick to probably go five and seven or four and eight, and you know, in typical Iowa fashion, we should know better. Um, in that, there, when there is no expectations, that's when they thrive. And this year, they had no expectations, and there was talk about Kirk Ferentz uh, being on the hot seat. They had trouble selling tickets, um, which is, I, I believe, is rare in Iowa City. But they, they finally sold out some games next week uh for the Minnesota game but we'll we'll see um you know still nothing screams off the paper that this is 
you know, a legitimate top 10 team. Yeah, they've played very well, and they, they have eight wins, and they've earned it. Uh, but this is a very beatable Iowa team who seems right uh, right for the picking for, for Indiana right now, who's played Iowa well uh, over the last decade or so. Yeah, it's a, it's a good situation in tangibles-wise for Indiana, which I'm not – I'm always a little bit unsure as to how much – uh, stuff like that matters, but I do know, like, and when I say stuff like that, I mean, you know, how Indiana has played against Iowa in the last 10 years. I, I just don't know how much it matters for this particular group, but what does matter is that the style of play that Iowa traditionally has and the style of play that Indiana traditionally has, uh, Indiana is able to usually be competitive with these guys. And I think that when you look at this particular game, the intangibles would be, number one, Indiana's coming off of a bye week, which they desperately needed. Uh, Personnel is going to be more rested than we have seen them since, you know, the first part of the season. Uh, It doesn't mean that they're 100% healthy. That's just not going to happen at this point in the season for any team. But it does mean they're as healthy as they can be at this stage of the season. Uh, You're going to see, I think a fairly heavy dose of Jordan Howard, even though Iowa uh, is a a good run defense. I mean, this is a a top 10 defense against the run, a top 10 defense overall. But like we said, those those numbers may be a little bit too favorable to the Hawkeyes based on who they've played. Um, But that's the number one thing is that Indiana's going to be rested. Number two, that bye week also gives you time a game plan for two weeks just for this one opponent. So you say, well, how much does one week versus two weeks actually matter? I think it matters quite a bit just because you're able to put in some additional things for Iowa that the Hawkeyes haven't seen yet. They're not able to study and plan for. Indiana is able to do that, whereas Iowa's only had one week. So your coaching staff is getting twice the amount of time to prepare defensively and offensively. I'm really interested to see what new wrinkles we see out of this uh, this IU coaching staff. I think that they are generally regarded as a a very bright coaching staff, particularly Kevin Wilson and Brian Knorr on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, What can they do that Iowa hasn't seen that can change this game? You know, you're looking for maybe four or five new plays, maybe one new package, things like that, just, maybe one matchup that they see in the Iowa defense that they're able to exploit. And in a close game, which we're hoping that this is, that can make a world of difference. So I think intangibly you're looking at, yeah, this bye week does matter for not just the health of Indiana and the, the, the fatigue and the extra rest, but for the, the game planning that gets to go on when you have that additional week. Uh, so it's, it's a big spot. Um, I do I do think – it's easy to look at Iowa's schedule and have some doubts or look at their personnel and have some doubt about why they're 8-0. But if, if you look at their numbers, uh, they are very impressive. And it's easy to see, for me, why they've been able to get to this point. It doesn't mean that they can beat Ohio State or that they could get into the playoff and beat LSU or that they could uh, you know, beat I don't know Baylor or any of the other teams that are around them. They might be able to, but these – just because they're 8-0 doesn't mean that they belong in that group. But their numbers that kind of do paint them in a very positive light 
uh, you know, sixth in the country in points allowed, only 15.3 points per game. That's good no matter who you're playing against. They're fifth in the country in turnover margin at plus 10, tenth in the country in average starting field position, which uh, means that opponents are starting their drives at their own 26, and that goes hand-in-hand with turnover margin. Uh, They are not giving their opponents any points. They're not putting them in good positions. You know, one glaring example of this, uh, a bad football team, Nebraska, gave Purdue the ball inside of the red zone on four separate occasions. So, yes, Purdue put up 55 points. Great for them. That was a good win. But Nebraska had a lot to do with putting themselves in bad field, in bad positions. Iowa has not done that. Um, and then, you know, they penalized 4.58 times per game. That's for an average of 40 yards. So, uh, you know, you're looking at a team that just doesn't beat themselves. And it sounds cliche because it is, but they play with very solid fundamentals. They don't beat themselves. If Indiana is going to pull off this upset, that, you know, I think that there's reason to think it could happen. I'm not expecting it, as I know some people are, and I understand that based on kind of the recent matchups, based on the intangibles that I talked about, based on the potential that a healthy Indiana offense has. I'm not expecting it, but I understand it. But if you're looking at this Iowa team, you're going to have to execute incredibly well and at a high level for 60 minutes because you cannot expect Iowa to give you anything by their own mistakes because it it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and and you know what? You've got to give Iowa credit. They've... Shook off the preseason um, predictions, prognostications, uh, and have really, you know, shown people that hey, Iowa football's back. They're playing well. C.J. Beathard gives them another dynamic. Um, is a mm-hmm. dual threat quarterback. He could run the ball well. He could throw the ball pretty well. Um, and I think the coaching philosophy you alluded to it earlier. Uh, with Kirk Ferentz has changed. You know, in the opener, they faked a field goal. I don't know how long, how, what the down and distance was. Well, it was obviously fourth down, but I don't know what the distance was. Uh, but the, they didn't convert, but the fans gave them a standing ovation, uh, yeah. giving it a try. They were like a yard or two short. And um, you see that aggressiveness uh, that hasn't been there um, and that kind of, you know, that passive offense and passive um, type of play calling uh, that kind of bogged Iowa down in the past has, has changed and, and really injected some life into the program. And, you know, I, I think that you've got to give them credit, the coaching staff credit, of, of changing their ways a little bit to, to really revitalize Iowa football. Yep. Yeah, I, that uh, it's a good example you bring up with the uh... – the fake field goal that they attempted against Illinois State in the uh, in the opener, um, that was a, a very telling thing that the fan base was just looking for something interesting, something new. It didn't matter to them that it didn't work. They were just happy to see Iowa try something different, and that has continued throughout the season. More often than not, it has worked when they have been aggressive. And I, I do think that uh, they trust C.J. Beathard. They're allowing him to throw the ball downfield a bit more than they uh, allowed Rudock. He has 
he's not been excellent. I, I don't want to give him too much credit because he's not the reason that they're that they are eight and zero. But he's done a good job of of being more than just a, a game manager. Uh, he has made some plays, like you said. He's a dual threat guy. He can run. He can hurt you with his legs. He's averaging uh, not. I think it's like seven point something yards per carry, which is kind of irrelevant for a quarterback. But he's capable of making big plays, picking up third downs when plays or first downs when plays break down. Uh, if you force him out of the pocket, he can scramble for five or ten yards and uh, make plays. Yeah, and, and those he, are usually he's not immobile. Yeah, he's not immobile, yeah, and, so that that can be a little bit dangerous for IU because I I just I have nightmares of you know oh it's third and eight IU's got them pinned back. There's two guys back there about to get the sack, and they both miss the tackle, and Bethard picks up nine yards and slides. Well, we we've seen that story before. Immobile quarterbacks are hard for anybody to defend, and uh, you know yeah. he's he's really a, a truly a, a dual threat quarterback. And to where he can run, he has some speed, uh, but he has a, he has an excellent arm. He's made some big time throws this year, um, and, and he's just you're unaccounted for unless you're spying a guy um, in the backfield. So, like you said, if it's third and eight, and, and you know he looks pinned down and then escapes, it, it could be a long day for IU. So, you know, it's a mobile quarterback is always tough to defend. IU has mm-hmm. historically been um burned by those uh those players and we'll see how they adjust. Um special teams I think are going to be a, a big deal this week. Uh Iowa's pretty good on special teams. They did have a punt blocked against Pitt uh that got returned for a touchdown, but uh, you know, Holding on, hopefully it's dry. I think the forecast changed when I looked at it last week. It was like 100% chance of rain. Now I think it's down to 17% chance of rain, but it is going to be cold. Um, and maybe mm-hmm. that ball's a little slick, but you saw it at the end of the Michigan State game where Damon Graham could not hold on to a kickoff. I think he fumbled twice. Uh, they were lucky to jump on that one that was bouncing around at the two yard line, or else Michigan State might have scored another touchdown. Uh, but you know, getting something going in 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 the kick return game, um, and, and pinning them down in uh, in the punt game is going to be very important. Now, I think Griffin Oaks, who struggled a couple weeks ago, I asked this at, at Media Monday um, because Wilson said it after the Michigan State game was, "How is he going to be bounce back mentally?" And you know, Wilson got very defensive, um, and rightfully so, because Griffin Oaks has been terrific. Um, yep. and he's arguably been the best kicker in the Big Ten, and we'll see how he bounces back. I think on kickoffs, he's been awesome, uh, and if he could kick it out of the end zone every time, uh, that gives, you know, takes away Desmond King in, in the kick return game. And um, speaking of, I, I'll get to, we had some commenters last week who were like, how are you playing Rashard Fant on punt return? Because you have, he's your best cover corner. Well, I know Iowa might have a little bit more depth, but Desmond King, their best corner, is returning kicks and returning punts and playing on special teams. So it's not unheard of. Um, it's a little more risky for IU than Iowa. But special teams, you got to take points when they're on the board. Iowa's a team, as you said, uh, giving up 15.2 points per game. So, you know, if you're there to take a field goal, take the three points and and, and move on. Just 
stay in the game, keep putting points on the board if you're not scoring touchdowns. Uh, and then you got to hope that Eric Toth has has a good day again. Um, he, I, I thought he kicked very well in some very tough conditions at, at Michigan State, uh, but continuing to get the ball down inside the 20 and inside the 15 is going to be huge. And, and he can't, you know, if IU stalls at the 50, you can't have these punts that are going out of the end zone because uh, then you might as well just go for it if you're going to give up 30 yards of, you know, field position. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. And I, I think that that's another thing that these two weeks um, maybe have been used for. We don't know this. It wasn't talked about by Wilson. Uh, understandably so. You don't want to give things away. But I do wonder if there have been any changes made to uh, to kick return because I, I you just – I don't see how you can continue to go with Damon Graham after what happened at Michigan State. Um, that was that was all kinds of bad, um, and I, I don't particularly. I just I don't think you're forced into using him. I think there are other players that are capable of, you know, giving a shot to. So I, maybe these two weeks have been used to maybe uh, find somebody else that can at. at you know, at the very least, consistently catch the ball, and after that, you're hoping that they can provide a spark for you. Um, so maybe these two weeks have been used to, to find find a player that can uh, can do that more consistently. I don't know if that's going to be maybe uh, Mitchell Page, I don't know, Donovan Hale, Mike Majette. I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I think that there does need to be there's some type of change there because I, I think you're playing with fire having Damon Graham back there. Yeah, and, and Majette is back there. Uh, he is the secondary kickoff guy. Um, if they right. just positions, I would feel much better about it. Um, right. But, you know, you don't – Mitchell Page has been very good in the passing game, and he's already returning punts, and you're opening up uh, him to, to more vicious hits. Um on kickoffs, uh, you know, maybe you put Donovan Hale back there. They tried him. He didn't look great against Ohio State, but according to Lyndon, who who watched him in high school for a year, he did not return kickoffs. Um, so, you know, maybe give him another shot here. Um, if it's very windy, you have to put your, your most sure-handed people back there uh, and guys you trust the most. And if that's Damon Graham, then that's Damon Graham. Uh, but, you know, the then he's earned it with the coaching staff at practice and that stuff. But um, I'd like to see them flip-flop Majette and Graham so where Majette is returning the kicks, he has that extra burst of speed. He can get through the trash a little bit better and, and maybe get that ball that Graham gets out to the 20, take it out to the 30, and, and so on, get those 10 extra yards and maybe even break one to the house. Um, and we'll see. And if it's, you know, maybe try Divine Redding back there. Um, he, he, I think he returned some kicks last year, uh, but he is sure-handed for the most part. Um, you know, put one of the young receivers out there. But according to the depth chart, uh, for what it's worth, Damon Graham is still listed as the kick returner, as the number one kick returner. Uh, so we'll see if there's any changes there. Uh, TJ, what are your uh, keys to victory? Uh, well, we've talked about some of them. Um, so I don't I don't want to repeat ourselves, but uh, you know the Sudfeld uh, versus Desmond King and taking care of the ball in general, just because Iowa's plus ten uh, is definitely one. Um, 
kind of the, I guess the one that I'll pick out first is how well you used that rest. Um, just because you had the opportunity for these two weeks doesn't mean that it was used well. I think that it will be. I think that it was. Um, or I guess in this case, I think that it is being used well uh, by the players and by the coaching staff. But I, I guess that I'm really interested to see how IU has, has used these two weeks to re-energize themselves and to put in maybe you go back and reemphasize some things on offense that you don't feel like you were using enough, like, uh, I don't know, maybe the tight ends. I'd love to see some more of that. Um, maybe you find some additional ways to get Mike Majet the ball in space. Um, yeah, maybe you find a player or two that you don't think has been used enough. Do you get him the ball some? Maybe there's some, some new new ways to get Jordan Howard involved now that he's healthy again. I, I'm not sure what those wrinkles will be, but um, I do think that we'll see some some new variations. It's not going to be a radically different offense, nor should it be uh, at all. But I do think that there's going to be a few things different that Iowa hasn't seen that we haven't seen yet this season uh, that the coaching staff was able to find. And I think that'll be a, a really important part of this game if IU can execute those new those uh, new wrinkles or new packages or new plays. If they can execute those. Uh, well, on Saturday, I, I think that they could use them uh, to bust a couple of big plays and change this game. I, what uh, what changes or wrinkles or variations or however you want to put it uh, would you like to see on Saturday that they've you know maybe worked on these past couple of weeks? Yeah, I, I think getting back to the tight ends, like you alluded to, is is, is huge. It, it's a matchup problem it's a it's an area where IU should have an advantage uh, you've seen Jordan Fuchs play he's obviously not a blocker but you know the guy could catch passes he's a matchup nightmare for a linebacker he's too fast for a linebacker too big for safety um and so you know getting them involved back into the offense uh will be huge I think uh also you're dead on um with Jordan Howard I, I also think maybe using play action a little bit more. Um, you know, establish the run, use some play action, and, and take some 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 shots, and, and get back to uh, moving the ball methodically. Now, I'm not saying three yards in a cloud of dust, but um, you know, big plays are nice. But let's get these four or five minute drives going again, uh, where we saw them against Western Kentucky, where we saw it against uh, Florida International and Southern Illinois. Get back to that that style of offense to help out uh, this defense, who you know has struggled over the past couple weeks uh, with fatigue and and with these young guys. Just you know they're in the right positions, they're just not making plays. So you know I think getting back to to a methodical offense um, that we saw in the first first few weeks uh, will help out this team. Yeah, I think that that's. Um, that's very well said. You know, we're not, we're definitely not against big plays. I don't want to, don't want to make it sound like that, but it would be very helpful for the defense to not be on the field for, you know, like 35 minutes. If Indiana could have that time of possession in their favor, um, as opposed to, to having it, you know, warped against them, I, I think that that would definitely do the defense wonders, especially in the fourth quarter, uh, where we've seen fatigue become an issue. 
so that that's definitely one for me. Another key that I have is um, you know a consistent sixty minutes. Um, we've rarely seen it this year. I think the only time that you could say there hasn't been a quarter or a, a chunk of a quarter that's been a huge, you know, mental lapse or physical lapse or both has been against Ohio State, uh, and that was not coincidentally, you know, I think their best performance of the season uh, as a whole. So every other game that we've seen, I think there's been, you know, either a whole half or a whole quarter or, you know, like a six- or seven-minute stretch like it was against Michigan State where they go from playing solidly to, you know, just looking completely incompetent. Um, And if you have that stretch against a team that is as fundamentally sound and as solid as Iowa, pull away from you, they'll go on a 14 or 21 nothing run, and just like that, you've gone from, being ahead or being in a competitive ball game to it, it being over and the crowd being, you know, completely dead and there being no energy. And uh, I think that it's just going to be really, really important for Indiana to start strong or start at least not poorly and just stay on a consistent level uh, emotionally, physically for the entire 60 minutes. They're, I don't think that there can be this roller coaster where you have IU come out roaring and get off to a, a lead and then, you know, drop off and play like, uh, well, play terribly, I guess would be the PC way of saying it, for, you know, eight or ten minutes. You just you can't have that against a good football team like Iowa. Uh, Indiana has not beaten a top ten team since 1987, which is, uh, it's mind-boggling that it has been, you know, my entire lifetime, minus one month. The last time was uh, October against Ohio State. I was born in September of 87. So October of 87 is the last time that they knocked off a, a top-10 opponent. There's there's no reason why Saturday can't break that, uh, that streak. But if it's going to happen, it's going to take 60 minutes of consistent football from Indiana. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's something that, um, you know, with the bye week, they should be well-rested. Energy should be a problem. Um, We'll see how the crowd plays into it. I don't know what to expect. Um, You know, it's based on our numbers, on people looking at our site. I think that um, some fans may have lost interest uh, or have just gotten so fed up with it, but You know, hopefully it's a good crowd. It is parents' weekend. It's the salute to service weekend. Um, Mm -hmm. And and who knows? You know, maybe they'll get a good crowd of 40,000. I would expect, you know, lower, maybe 25 to 30,000. But that's, you know, they should be, I I hate to say it, but that's what they should be used to uh, is coming out in front of a a half-empty stadium and providing their own energy uh, to get up. And maybe that's some of the reasons why you've seen these, fourth quarter collapses uh, at home is is because they, they just run out of gas. You can only provide your own energy for as, as much as possible. And that's maybe why Ohio, the Ohio State game was their best game, is that, you know, you had a – there were a few thousand empty seats in the stadium, but it was, for the most part, full. And it was a sellout. Um, and, 
you know, the the crowd was in it the entire game and maybe provided energy there in the fourth quarter. So, you know, I hate to, to beat this drum again, but, you know, crowds win football games and they, they help these teams and they, they need that student section and the alumni uh, to be there, you know, from kickoff to the end of the game and, and not leave at halftime and, and not go back out to their tailgates at, uh, you know, the end of the third quarter or stuff like that. So, um, that that might be an energy issue uh, that they have to look at. But um, another key to the game, TJ, I think is scoring first. Um, and you know what? I, I'm going to revise that. It's scoring second. Uh, it, it's the old hockey term of, of that second goal is more important. If Iowa scores first, IU's got to score second to tie it up. Um, and that second touchdown is, is the most important. Uh, so, you know what? If IU scores first, Get that second touchdown. Go up by two scores. Put a little fear into the eyes of the eyes of the Hawkeyes, and, and get this crowd riled up. Maybe people come in late uh, if they're winning against the top ten team, uh, and, and we'll see where they could go from there. Yeah, they do need to respond. You cannot fall in a hole against a defense like this. Uh, we can argue, or I guess we're not arguing. We're in agreement that this probably is not one of the 10 best defenses in the country, but they have performed like it up to this point based on the opponents they've played. Uh, and they, they probably do in their, you know, their locker room. They probably feel like they are a top 10 defense. They probably look at the statistics and say, yeah, we're really good. They probably have a whole lot of confidence. And if they get up 10, nothing or 14, nothing, uh, you know, this defense is going to have no reason to doubt, their their numbers. They're going to have no reason to not believe the hype that they have surrounding them right now. Um, if Indiana can get ahead and you know they can you know get ahead ten nothing, fourteen nothing, you know put together two really good offensive drives and you know, maybe the defense a little doubt creeps into their head that well, hang on a minute we haven't been here this season. What's going on? What's happening? You know we're we're playing a good offense and we're things aren't going the way that we had expected them to, you know, maybe a little doubt creeps in and you're able to maybe have them on their heels a tad bit, playing unsure of themselves just a little bit. And then, you know, the ball gets rolling and you can think about an upset. Uh, but yeah, and, yeah I do think that, that, goes... uh, that, that early scoring is, is going to be important to set the tone for the game. No doubt about that. Yep. And that, that um, confidence thing goes both ways as well. IU yeah. has one of the better offenses in the conference, and this is another tough test for them to where, hey, if you score two touchdowns in the first quarter, hey, we belong here. We belong on the same field. Um, now let, uh, let's play and, and show them why we're ranked so highly in, uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So it is a two-way street um, that, go, you know, if Iowa starts shutting them down, hey, we're shutting down a really good offense. And if I and if Indiana starts scoring, hey, we're scoring on a really good defense, so we're for real. Um, so we'll see. I, I'm very excited to get back to football. It was, uh, although a fun off week, it's uh, I, I, I just you know we've been waiting all year for for these twelve weeks, so it's good to get back at it. Um, TJ, let's go around the, the rest of the conference uh, real quickly. We have about fifteen minutes left. Uh, there are some decent matchups. Uh, Nothing stands off the page like it's going to uh, be in the next few weeks. Uh, but let's start with uh, Penn State at Northwestern. It's noon on ESPNU. 
Uh, Northwestern got back on track last week. Um, what's going on there? Penn State shut out Illinois. Uh, what are your keys to that game? Yeah, this, uh, this week uh, feels kind of like the calm before the coming storm uh, in the Big Ten East. You've got uh, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, uh, kind of getting ready to play sort of a round robin uh, against each other here to close out the season and ultimately decide the, the Big Ten East race, whereas you know Iowa, a game ahead of Wisconsin, really Wisconsin the only team that can uh, can challenge them for the West crown at this point, it looks like. And, uh, you know, Iowa needs to, to lose twice for them to not be the, the Big Ten West representative. So you've kind of got quite a bit of things happening in the last few weeks, not a whole ton happening this week unless there are some upsets and then you've got narratives changing. So uh, beginning with Penn State Northwestern, um, I'm not entirely sure what to think of Penn State. They're 7-2. and two, uh, they still have a shot to win the Big Ten East, seven and two. They they hammered Illinois last week, thirty-nine nothing. Their defense is performing you know on a top fifteen level once again, like as expected. The offense is uh, it's starting to improve. Uh, they have come alive here in recent weeks. Um, they're up to fifty-ninth in offense in the S and P Plus rankings. I think the the key matchup to watch because Northwestern's uh, rush defense is definitely the more susceptible part of that defense. The secondary is very good. The rush defense is, you know, pretty good, but just slightly above average. So Saquon Barkley is averaging 6.6 yards a carry. Uh, he's going to be getting the ball quite a bit, and they'll try to use uh, try to use some rushing success to open up the play action passing game for Hackenberg to throw it to, to Chris Godwin or. Sean Hamilton or Geno Lewis. Um, I would expect. I would expect that Penn State's going to force Clayton Thorson to try and beat them with his arm, and so far he hasn't been able to do that to really anybody. So, uh, I, I think Penn State's the better team. I think they're the more complete team. Both defense is very good. I think Penn State's uh, rushing game and, and big plays in the passing game will be enough to get them to win in Evanston. All uh, right, next we're moving on to uh, Purdue. Uh, they're taking on Illinois in West Lafayette. Uh, Purdue had a big win, uh, the biggest win of the Daryl Hazel era, beating Nebraska. Um, it, it was really shocking. You know, I turned that game on, uh, you know, while having breakfast, uh, while camping last week, and it was, you know, Purdue was running away with it. Um, mm-hmm. So can they get to two wins in a row? Illinois is sitting there um, at 4-4. Four and four. They've Bowl games are still in sight. They're one and three in the conference, so they're kind of out of it in that race. But they could still get to that six win, uh, six win mark, and get to a bowl game, which would be a, a big step in the right direction, especially with all that has gone on in the um, in the off season and, and preseason uh, with Tim Beckman getting let go. Uh, do you see Purdue winning two two in a row here, TJ? Boy, I have no idea. It's it's hard to tell how much last week was Purdue turning a corner and how much was Nebraska just completely self-destructing under a former walk-on quarterback, Riker Fife, as Tommy Armstrong sat out. Uh, you know, five turnovers, four of them resulting in Purdue starting inside the red zone. 
that's basically handing them at minimum like 17, 20 points, and Purdue was able to get you know the full 28 out of it. Credit to them. They did play very well. It's definitely the best I've seen them look this season, uh, with the exception of probably the first uh, first like two and a half quarters against Marshall. Um, Illinois, they've hit a bit of a rough patch here. Uh, they've they've gotten blown out by Penn State. Uh, they lost to Iowa and Wisconsin. No shame in that. But you know the defense is still ranked in the top 15. It's definitely not the top 15 defense. Their offense has actually uh, been pretty poor. Um, they're in the bottom 100, or I'm sorry, they're lower than 100th uh, in offense, which is pretty surprising. But Josh Ferguson has been out. His status for Saturday's game is unknown. If he comes back, I think Illinois would definitely be considered the favorite without him. Their offense just hasn't been able to do much. Uh, the rushing game has not been able to replace him. And Wes Lunt, I think, has been a little bit underwhelming. He doesn't have many weapons outside of Geronimo Allison. So um, it, it's a tough one to call because, like I said, you don't know how much of it was Purdue improving off their bye week. They had the bye week before Nebraska. And how much of it was Nebraska just being totally incapable of taking care of the ball with the backup quarterback. So I don't know, but it, it was definitely good for Purdue to, to get that win. And you say the biggest win in the, the Daryl Hazel era, well, I mean, there haven't really been any choices. That's basically the only one that, a win at Illinois the season before, the only two that you could realistically choose uh, as that. So it was important for Daryl Hazel to get something going. If they can get a second straight win, uh, you know, maybe they'll feel like they actually are going in the right direction. So uh, it's it's an important game for Illinois. They have to get this one if they want a chance to go into a bowl game based on their remaining schedule. And it's an important one for Purdue because they have to feel like now, hey, we might be able to get the four wins. We might be able to beat Illinois. We might be able to beat IU. And, uh, actually salvage something from what looked like a total disaster of a season. If they're able, you know, if they're, if they turn back around and, and have a bad performance on Saturday, you're thinking maybe the Nebraska game was a total fluke. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll see there. And it would be a big win for Daryl Hazel just because you build on it and it gives you some yeah. sort of hope going into next year and gives them some sort of job security heading into to recruiting. Uh, if they lose, you know, it's a home game. This is a very winnable game for them. Um, but we'll see if they're, they're hung over from that game. Uh, next is uh, Rutgers at Michigan. Uh, Rutgers might be without Leonte, uh, Leonte Carew. Um, they're a totally different team without him. Um, we'll see uh, Michigan is looking to get back on track, stay in the uh, race in the Big Ten East uh, that they kind of, you know, they're a game back now of Michigan State and Ohio State. Uh, so it, going on the road is, is always tough in the Big Ten. Uh, actually, they're at home. Uh, they did lose to Rutgers last year, so it's kind of a, a revenge game for them. Harbaugh, who, um, you know, has had a very weird week in um, <laughs> in, in nutrition-wise. Um, so, uh, you know, who knows? He's he's a crazy person. Um so we'll see. I think Michigan uh, gets back, stays, you know, stays on on uh, on pace with Ohio State and Michigan State, and uh, you know, ends up running over Wisconsin or running over Rutgers. 
Yeah, I would uh, I would suggest that Indiana fans don't watch Rutgers um, this year anymore because you're just going to get more and more angry over Indiana collapsing against this team because I I, I still don't know how it happened. Rutgers is so so bad, and they were able to find themselves for one quarter of play against Indiana and I. I, I, well, we're not going to talk about that game anymore. Jim Harbaugh did have one of my uh, one of my favorite quotes of the week. He was asked uh, about something about if they had beaten Michigan State or if the Michigan State had been different, something with if. Uh, he said that if worms had machine guns, birds would be terrified of them. That, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, 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 I would probably be terrified of worms, too, if they had machine guns. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, just gonna put that out there. It, it, it's, and then he had the coaching clinic thing with him and his brother is like the world's greatest coaching clinic. Oh, he's just like a weird dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is, but he so, he understands if his name and Michigan's name is constantly in the news cycle, he's going to be attracting more athletes to Michigan. I mean, it, that's the way it works. Now, if they yeah, stop but, uh, winning you know, games, you know, if they stop winning games, which they really should have lost to Minnesota. Uh, that was a, a crazy, crazy ending if they, if Minnesota gets one more yard. I, you know, Michigan's defense is something to – this is something to look at because IU plays Michigan following this week. So um, we'll talk about them a lot more next week. But, you know, they gave up a lot of yards against Michigan State. Um, everybody knows they they lost that game due to a final miracle play. But, you know, Cook – put up 328 passing yards. Michigan State had 386 total. And then Minnesota's offense, which was really sputtering, uh, they racked up 461 yards, including 317 passing yards from Mitch Leidner, which I would never have believed that would happen. Uh, No, he might not have had that the entire season. Right. Yeah, I mean, he, he is just not, he's not a good quarterback, and he put up, a really, really good day. You could argue that Minnesota played inspired football uh, to make up for, you know, Jerry Kill and to, as a tribute to him. But Michigan gave up a lot of open guys. They gave up a lot of large windows to Leidner to throw to. They had a hard time tackling. Uh, they really have not looked like the dominant defense that we'd all seen at you know, performing at historic levels for the six weeks of the season. These past two weeks, they've not been near as good. So, you know, if they give up, um, you know, 300, 350 yards to Rutgers without Carew, that'll be kind of an indication that maybe something's not quite right with this defense. I don't expect that to be the case. I I think that they will. uh, I think that Harbaugh will have them playing like they lost last week. I, I think that he'll have them playing at a pretty high level back at home. Uh, I think it's going to be another blowout defeat for, for the Scarlet Knights as they kind of run out the run out the clock on the Kyle Flood era. Yep, and quickly we're going to move on to the last few games. Uh, Wisconsin at Maryland. Uh, Wisconsin needs to keep pace with Iowa uh, in the Big Ten West. Um, Maryland, they, they've played okay, um, you, you know, especially – given the fact that they fired their coach a couple of weeks ago. Um, they're still trying to figure it out on offense. Um, is there any shot that Maryland gets the upset uh, at home against Wisconsin? I don't think so. 
Um, I think that the defense is going to get run over by Corey Clement, who looked really fresh. He looks like a difference maker uh, for the Badgers' offense. You know, they developed their passing game without him. While they couldn't run the ball effectively, they worked on the passing game. Uh, Stave to Alex Erickson, who Erickson is turning into one of the better receivers in the Big Ten. He's a lot of fun to watch. He's a really good route runner with great hands. Uh, the only chance that Maryland does have in really any game that I've seen you know, for the past you know, two or three weeks here has been Perry Hills running the ball. He's really, really good at that. It scares me uh, for IU's matchup in the second to last week of the season. I, I could see Perry Hills having a huge day on the ground against IU's defense. Um, but other than that, Maryland is not going to offer a lot of a lot of problems for Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, then we have Michigan State at Nebraska. Nebraska seems to be in a free fall. Uh, we'll see if um, Tommy Armstrong comes back. But this is a game Michigan State has to win. Uh, you, you know, they're going on the road. It's tough. It's a tough environment. But uh, Nebraska's free falling. Their fans, uh, you know, might be out of it a little bit after losing to Purdue. Uh, it's going to be a tough, tough, um, uh, you know, tough, tough rebound for them. Uh, is is Nebraska dead in the water, or uh, do they have a shot here at you know beating uh, Michigan State and, and maybe squeaking out six wins by running the table there at the end of the year? Well, they look dead in the water, but we've seen instances where you know a team that has probably spent the entire week hearing from, you know, around the around the country about, my gosh, look at Nebraska football, look how far they've fallen, they lost to Purdue, they're so terrible. You know, you hear all that negative noise and you just rally around each other, uh, go home and, and play a really good game. I think that could happen. Um, I think it's more likely, though, that Connor Cook exploits a very bad secondary for a huge day. We've seen... You know, we've seen what Connor Cook does to a bad secondary, haven't we? Uh, finally, uh, the final game of the night is the primetime uh, ABC game, uh, Minnesota at Ohio State. Uh, Minnesota, as we said earlier, gave Michigan a run for its money uh, right down to the last yard. Um, yeah. Is this is Minnesota going to have enough energy to get back up to, to take on uh, take on the Buckeyes at, at Ohio Stadium? Well, the the biggest storyline surrounding this game is that Cardell Jones is back at quarterback. J.T. Barrett suspended for this game following uh, his arrest for operating a vehicle while intoxicated. Uh, He's expected to return to the team for their game against Illinois, uh, which is after Minnesota, and before their contests against Michigan State and Michigan. So, you know, I guess we're going to see – the only interesting thing to me about this game is what happens if Cardell Jones plays really, really well? Are we back to Cardell Jones as the starting quarterback? Are we back to a rotate? I, I don't know. I, I I think what's most likely to happen is that Ohio State leans on the running game. Uh, Minnesota is unable to replicate the offensive performance they had last week, and Ohio State uh, probably has a you know, cause I, I don't think they're quite the same team as they were a year ago. I just don't think they have as many dynamic playmakers at wide receiver for whatever reason. And uh, it just doesn't seem like things are quite clicking on all cylinders. 
I do think that once they have JT Barrett, this is maybe this won't happen now because the rhythm again for this team is going to be thrown off. But I think if they ever get JT Barrett into complete rhythm, I think the offense uh, will be able to to grind out a lot of games just with you know running the ball quite a bit and having a good defense. But I, they don't look quite right, and uh, I I'm not sure if I I think that they're going to go undefeated as I, I previously have thought. I don't know who's going to beat them. I don't think it's going to be Minnesota for sure, but uh, I, I do think that there's reason for their fans to be a little bit concerned moving forward. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And um, one more point on uh, Barrett and Cardell. This is not an injury situation, uh, you know, right. where a guy, you know, you don't like to lose his job over an injury. This is, he was named the starter for one game and he went out and avoided a, a DUI checkpoint, got pulled over, so he knew he was intoxicated, not supposed to drive. Uh, and, and is that the kind of person you want leading your team? Um, you know, it, that, that's the questions that are going to have to ask. And it's, you know, Cardell, he struggled in the first part of the year. You saw him against Indiana. You know, he played okay, uh, but there were some yeah. turnovers, and we'll see. And, you know, do you – it's a very fragile um, situation now that, you know, it's not an injury, it's an, it's an arrest. So, you know, do you have that much trust in this guy uh, in Barrett to put him back in there and, and show what kind of leader he is? Um, anyway, TJ, we are out of time. Uh, this hour went by too quickly. Uh, we'll, uh, you know, we'll be back on Monday to, to wrap up Iowa, Indiana, uh, TJ, thanks for being on. Uh, I know you have to be on, but it's always good talking uh, Big Ten and IU football with you. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will uh, we'll be back with the recap show. We have a lot of great content coming the rest of the week, so uh, enjoy and go Hoosiers. Yep. Uh, we have the uh, game primer coming out at 1 o'clock this afternoon, uh, so be sure to check that out and keep coming back to HoosierHuddle.com for more. Uh, You can follow us on at Hoosier underscore Huddle on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Uh, Just search Hoosier Huddle and uh, give us a like, and uh, we'll see you on Monday. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. 
There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.